Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, brought to you by City Current and powered by Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance. This show shares personal stories and insight from those who are giving back and making a difference so we can learn and do the same. We cover life lessons, business advice, passion, and purpose. Now here's our host, Jeremy Park. Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Park. We are in for a positive treat, we'll say. An amazing experience uh, when you talk about the power of positivity, when you talk about the research behind it and how uh, not just thinking good, but but doing good, all the above can lead to happiness, can lead to more productivity. We get to have a very inspiring conversation with Michelle Gielen. She's the founder of the Institute for Applied Positive Research. She's a best-selling author. Her book is Broadcasting Happiness. She's a former anchor with CBS News, and she's also a featured professor in Oprah's Happiness Course. It doesn't get any happier or better than having Michelle here on the Changemakers Podcast. How are you doing, Michelle? Oh, I'm so well. I'm very happy and happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so we were uh, we had you as a as a signature breakfast speaker here in Memphis um, a little while back, and you were able to share your story and uh, many of the the research findings and all that. And we'll talk a little about that. But um, we had a chance to get to know you, and we said we have to have you come on the Changemakers podcast. And so we're definitely excited to have you on. But Let's start with a little bit of your history. You live in the Dallas-Fort area right now, and you have your family there, and we'll, we'll talk about that too. But um, you grew up kind of in the northeastern side of the U.S., so give us just a little bit of a, of a tidbit for your childhood and where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up at, in the northeast. Originally, was born in New York. Grew up in Summit, New Jersey for a period of time until I was 12, and then my father was getting a lot of work in the D.C. area, so we moved to Bethesda, Maryland. Um, and... Um, I had a rather uneventful childhood. I loved math and science and uh, went to an all-girls school. But um, but overall, kind of, uh, you know, I, I felt blessed to have the childhood that I had. Uh, cantankerous parents from uh, two different countries, very feisty. And so grew up with a lot of excitement in the house. But <laughs> I don't know. I guess like that's made me who I am today a little bit. So we talk about different cultures. What were the two cultures? Oh yeah, so my father is Israeli, my mother is Brazilian. Oh wow! And um, yeah, so <laughs> how, did they, there what, how did they meet? Oh, so this is great. So my mom shows up when she's 26 to New York. She just wanted to kind of get out of Brazil and experience something new. She shows up on Halloween to Times Square. Where can you imagine what that must have been like? Yeah, she like didn't speak a lick of English. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and she had about $100 in her pocket. Um, meanwhile, my father, same age, came over, and he was getting a business degree from Columbia. Um, he'd already been there for a couple months. My mom's friend, who had a room in the same dorm that he was in, ended up saying, I'm going back to Brazil. Do you want the room? She said, yes. She took it. She moved in. And um, New Year's Eve, my father spied her across the room at a party, and that was it. He was in love. <laughs> wow. So, so New Year's Eve in New York really does lead to love. That's, that's good to know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, talk about, you know, from, from that perspective, I'm just curious as a childhood, you know, what are some traditions that still stand out? Because, I mean, obviously two very different cultures, but, you know, obviously a loving family. I mean, what, what's something that stands out to you as kind of a, you know, unique either holiday or just something different that, that's a, a family tradition, so to speak? Oh, um, I think, you know, for us, 
uh, the biggest tradition, honestly, was gathering around the dinner table every single night. It was a very big thing for my mom. She would cook dinner. At, we had a specific time, 6.30 every day. My father would come home from work. We prioritized that. And I think that that was, um, that was a fundamental building block to making me who I am today as I listened to the conversations that we had. Oftentimes, she would be preparing the dinner as the news was on. So we'd kind of get informed and then sit down and, and we'd often talk about what was going on. And, and so it could be then, you know, we could think, oh, it's no surprise. Then you ended up as a journalist yourself being exposed to that and the conversation around the dinner table. What, you know, on your end, um, when you talk about being, uh, you know, a journalist and being inquisitive, but also to using it for good, you know, the, the community service aspect, was there any of that? And I've got to believe, you know, with, with, two parents who came from different countries, they probably have a very different perspective of the U.S. and what freedom means and what um, the ability to you know, follow the American dream means, uh, patriotism, I mean, all the above, but just community service, I've got to believe, is a little bit different. So at what age or, or did it ever kind of enter the equation of just the importance of community service, of volunteerism, of giving back? Was any of that a part of your childhood through your parents? Yeah, absolutely. So my parents worked really hard to build themselves up. They both came from homes where, um, you know, they were e either middle class or my, my mom, actually, her family struggled financially through her childhood. And so when they arrived here, they saw they came here in in part because of the opportunities. Um, but also they, um, they, they saw that they had the chance to work hard and that hard work could pay off, and luckily it did. Um, and so, uh, but all through my childhood, there was always discussion about that and how, you know, we're really lucky and very grateful for what has, we've we've been able to accomplish as a family, and it's as a result of, of the how amazing this country is. Um, but we need to remember that this story, you know, doesn't happen for everybody, and so we have to take care of, of those that are less fortunate. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, I volunteered in, in high school a bunch, and um, there was always kind of top of mind and top of conversation. And so, you know, when, my, when I became a journalist, I, my intention there, the mission was, how can I gather information about a specific topic, package it in a way that is relevant to people so that they would pay attention, and ultimately inform people so they can make the best decisions possible, um, unfortunately, the industry doesn't really support a lot of that kind of reporting right now, but uh, but that was always my aim. So you, you shared the story when you were here in Memphis of just how you got into journalism and, and media, and it's a <laughs> kind of a hilarious story. Um, but, but, you know, share with us at what point, because, you know, you've got a very interesting background in terms of computer engineering. You've got a Master of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. So, I mean, you've got a, a pretty diverse background yourself. But share with us, you know, kind of that, the, the side of going in and, you know, especially majoring in computer engineering and then ultimately what led you to to want to get into journalism and kind of share a little of that funny story of just making your own videotape and sending it in and, and, and shooting for dreams. <laughs> Thank goodness for the technology background. So I was able to navigate a video camera and, and, you know, the editing software at the time. But so what happened was my, my father was a computer cons or is still a computer consultant. So to have computers in 
pieces around the house was very normal. I felt comfortable taking them apart and putting them back together. When it came time to choose a major for college, computer engineering seemed to make sense. I always liked math and science. The thing is, when I got out into the work world and I worked as a software engineer, it was great. And for some people, it's a total fit. For me, I like talking with people and interacting, and I felt a lot of the job was very isolating. Right. So uh, as I looked around and had conversations with people that I admired and trusted, a friend of mine said, you know, for everything that you say you like about, you know, hearing people's stories and asking questions and getting out into the world, um, she was a reporter. She said, I think you should consider becoming a journalist. I think you'd really like it. And so... (laughs) I so to what you're referencing is what I ended up doing. I decided I wanted to be a broadcast journalist or an anchor or a reporter. I shot a tape in my living room. I literally uh, so I wanted to seem as international and traveled as possible. So I wore a tank top, bright yellow that said Havana on it, <laughs> and um, and then I styled my hair in a you know curly, which is how it kind of naturally is, so that I'd seem racially ambiguous and. And then I sent this VHS tape, I made dubs, I mean, probably about 150 copies, to stations around the country. And then I waited for calls to roll in. But of course, what really happened was I felt very grateful after probably about two or three months that um, that I got one call, which was from El Paso, Texas. Um, and I packed my bags and I went there and I cut my teeth working really, really hard uh, at a te- an NBC station there, I was thrown into this experience of being live on TV with basically no previous experience. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what's but, crazy uh, about this is a background in computer science. And yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big departure from going to, you know, from taking apart computers and you know software and all that kind of stuff to then all of a sudden being in front of a camera as a journalist um, and, and, and storytelling. So I mean, that's a pretty big leap of faith and jump. But I think it's also one of those two where, you know, a couple of things. One is you only need one yes, which you got that one yes. That's all it takes in many cases yep. is, is that first opportunity and then making the most of it. But then, you know, and you're in being a hard worker and being uh, someone who's who's not afraid to take on challenges and say, you know what, this is my dream. I'm going after it with everything I can, including moving all the way to El Paso and uh, jumping in full force. And I think many people don't take that leap of faith to follow their dreams. In other words, they play it safe and you, you know, you went all in, which is awesome. Yeah. And I think the one major advantage that I have uh, always had is I don't shy away from feedback. I'm always very open to it for good or for bad. Right. I want to know how was that report? Did it resonate with you? Is there a way I can do it better? Did I present the idea clearly on camera? Um, And so what ended up happening was I, I just watched every single report I put together. I watched everybody else's reports to see, to learn from them and how I could improve. And I I think that that iterative process, I got better and better very quickly and then um, had a better tape to send where I'm not wearing a Havana tank top. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we sent it off to, I got a job in Chicago and, and from the day I started, you know, I left El Paso, I was three years later in New York at CBS News, anchoring two national newscasts. I mean, that's phenomenal. I think at what point did it sink in? That's, I mean, that's a big jump to go from, like I said, the the kind of the computer side to then taking the leap of faith to then being a national anchor. At what point did it set in? Oh my gosh, I've actually done this. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've done what I set out to do. And, you know, at what point did that kind of piece step, step in or, you know, did you, did you realize, wait a second, I've actually, I've actually done this. 
Yeah, it was, I mean, it was overwhelming. It, I, I mean, part of it was because I was working a very challenging schedule of overnights and early mornings. But um, so I was kind of a zombie through a lot of it. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was incredible. And, and there were, I remember one of my very first days there, I went to, so I didn't, the two programs I would normally do, including the CBS Morning News. And then after that's the early show, which is now um, uh, CBS This Morning, so right. they renamed it. And, uh, and I remember this one day, I did this report for the show, and I'm leaving, the sun is now up, um, and it's 59th and 5th in New York City, which is right across from the Plaza Hotel. Kitty Corner is the lower start of this of Central Park. There are carriages going by, you know, those horse-drawn carriages. And I just, I walk out into the plaza, and I, I, I don't know, this is big, life-altering moment where I'm like, whoa, I, I mean, this happened. I did it. And, and, but at the same point, trying to remember the awesome uh, platform that, we, you know, I was given and how do I best use this? How do I, how do I not just broadcast, you know, negative stories, but really be a helpful component to society to try to, again, spread that positive information. So it was awe-inspiring, but it, it but it also, <laughs> you know, my eyes are wide and thinking, how do I do this? You know, this, how, do I, how do I leverage this opportunity in the best way possible? And, and talk about that side of it, because I think this is something that, you know, it, it kind of leads to the next chapter in your life. But the fact of, OK, you, you've you've been given this amazing platform. You have millions of viewers and you on your end want to share, you know, it's not just the raw, raw, the good, but you, you want to be able to do use journalism as a force for good. So in other words, you may look at something negative, but ultimately, what can we learn from it? What can what can be the solution? How can we come together? How can we how can we um, heal? How can we leverage this in a good way, as well as sharing the good? But at the same time, the news media in general, you know, the the kind of the catchphrases: if it bleeds, it leads. Sensationalism sells. You know, you, you everybody always says, "Oh, the journalism is all focused on negative." And so, how did you manage to try to navigate that? internal drive for positivity and good and sharing that with this kind of external force of trying to drive sensationalism for ratings. I mean, did, did you feel that sort of kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for that, uh, agitation? I mean, did, did you feel that force? I mean, describe that on your end. Well, I think that what was happening at CBS was no different than any of the other broadcast stations and cable news stations. Um, so, um, and yes, I, I, did, I definitely felt as if there was an unspoken industry-wide pressure to find those really negative or sensational stories that were going to garner ratings. Right. So I, I've since now looked at the research behind all of this when I went to get a, a master's in positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. What I wanted to understand was the psychology of, of talking about stories in a way, and so these are, are stories that are, are challenges we're facing on a societal level, as families, as individuals, but to talk about them in a way that inspires hope and leaves us feeling empowered and ready to take action, as opposed to what a lot of the news is doing right now, which is leaving us feeling blah, hopeless, helpless, and depressed. And, and there is actually 
incredible science behind how to talk, to look at the negative and talk about it in, in a better way. Um, so just as some of the findings we found, we've, we've come across is that we did, I did a series of studies with Ariana Huffington looking at the impact of negative news on the brain, found that just three minutes of negative news in the morning can increase your chances of having a bad day by 27%. But here's the thing, that's as reported six to eight hours later. So what we did was we exposed people to three minutes of, of broadcast news, of negative stories, right. and then we tested them at the end of their day, and they're still feeling the effects later on, which I think is incredible because it shows us that the news can act like a poison pill first thing in the morning instead of taking, for instance, a vitamin with your breakfast, right? Well, and it's also um, this but, unconscious underlay where it's like it carries with you all – I mean that's a that's a long time to unconsciously kind of carry this negative uh, feeling. That, that It's – it's a that's – wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean because if you think about it, if you are exposed to a story that's all about, or a series of stories, let's say, that are all problems, right? Your brain is being bombarded by problem, 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 problem. If at no time there's, there's a talk of solutions, you know, what we could do, what has been done, what other people have chosen to do, then your brain just gets stuck there. Then you maybe go to work and you say, oh, well, with this report I need to produce or this challenge that we're experiencing, you know, here at the office, well, I don't know what I possibly can do here to affect positive change. Um, what, I, my, what I wanted to understand is how do we create that empowerment and that resilience? A key component is optimism. Um, optimism, <laughs> I learned this after, you know, I went through this master's program, but optimism is not what people oftentimes confuse it with. Rose-colored glasses, ignoring reality. It's actually two very important things. When we experience a challenge, do we believe that our behavior matters and do we expect good things to happen? So you lose your job, do you expect that if you work hard to find a new opportunity that you will be able to do that, you'll be successful? If the answer, consciously or unconsciously, is no, that dramatically affects our behavior. Right. So what I've now become very interested in is studying the science behind not just on the news, but in our own lives as well, how we talk about the negative in a way that, that communicates to our brain, hey, our behavior does matter. There is a solution that could be applied to this problem. And if we band together with the people around us, we can create that positive change. So let's backtrack a little bit and then let's talk about, because I mean, even at the breakfast, you shared so many valuable tips and I want to touch on a few of those and then carry this conversation, you know, right at this point forward. But Talk about, you know, as the founder of Institute for Applied Positive Research, Good Think, the book, you know, uh, Broadcasting Happiness, that's, there really was a major shift, obviously, from you going from news anchor to then stepping into this world of, you know, researcher doing the analysis, but then ultimately what, what I think is the most helpful is not only, you know, like you said, the statistics behind is, but, but what can we do about it? How, how can you change behaviors? And even from a consulting standpoint, you work with, you know, huge companies and schools and organizations to really immerse these findings and this research and um, all the advice and expertise along to be able to create change. So talk about forming the company and then kind of stepping off in this adventure and then we'll, we'll jump right back in with some of the findings and tips and your, your advice. Yeah, so when um, after I left CBS News, which by the way, my friends thought I was absolutely insane. 
I worked really hard for this job. It was an incredible opportunity. And then I decided that I wanted to change gears. Um, so uh, after I graduated from the, the master's program, what I ended up doing was looking at how do we spread this kind of information? How do I actually get to broadcast the, the, the research that I think can be so valuable for helping people live their best lives? And what I ended up doing was, you know, I've been working now at Good Thing, which is a, a positive psychology consulting firm, and founded the Institute for Applied Positive Research to be able to ask some of those questions. Um, you know, to date, we've worked with uh, maybe about a third of the Fortune 100 companies, uh, wow. lots of schools, and had just incredible success stories. And I, I the only reason I share that is because what I what it, it continually reminds me over and over is if you put people if you put this research in people's hands, then they oftentimes are so inspired by it that they run with it, they make it their own, and they transform communities. And so I'll just give you one quick example, which I absolutely love. So we've worked with the poorest, the, the school district in the poorest county in Iowa. This is Cardinal School District. They were struggling with many of the things that you would think of from for an area that's socioeconomically depressed and struggling, including poor graduation rates, uh, you know, bad grades for many of the students. Um, what they decided to do was instead of investing in a lot of the typical programs that a, a school district might focus on to bring up grades and graduation rates, they said, we want to focus on rewriting the narrative here and, uh, and, and give the kids a positive education. So they got everybody involved, not just the teachers and the students and the administrators, but they even roped in the bus drivers and they talked to the lunch ladies and they, they got them to share uh, all the successes and, and, and positive things going on to deepen social connection between them and the students. So much so that, you know, just a really concrete example, the, the administrators asked the bus drivers to write nice notes to each of the children, which of course, you know, then goes home with right. them and the parents see those, right? And I've got to believe so, the children uh, love that. Oh my gosh, they were, yeah, this is one of the best things. And, and when the lunch lady doles out the food, she's also doling out a positive compliment. Um, they changed the, the narrative in terms of we're not a failure factory, we're a success story. These are the amazing things that are already happening here. And then these are the things that we're going to work on, but we'll band together to do it. Anyway, cut to a, a couple years later of doing this, they ended up raising their average ACT score from 17 to 23, um, they, their graduation rate increased significantly, grades went up, but the best part was that there's a rich school district in the county next door, um, and those kids were being, many of them, their parents were opting to send them to the poorest county in Iowa to get a positive education. There was a way that they, it was open enrollment, so there was a way that they could do that. Wow. Which is, Incredible. Yeah. So well, to I, your I, point, um, creating the support network. And, and honestly, I mean, you know, when you talk about children, like a handwritten thank you note means the world to them. I mean, I, I can just think for our little nine-year-old, you know, anytime he gets a handwritten note, he's just beaming, especially from his teachers. And so many times it's a very simple thing to inspire these children um, with, you know, to your point, the lunch lady, you know, interacting with them and saying, you know, hey, you know, how, how was your day? And leading off with a positive a compliment. Little things like that, but strategically making sure that they're a part of the culture, the DNA, so that to your point, every step of the way from the bus to the lunch, to the principal, to the teachers, to the parents, 
like the, the, the support network is in place, so you give them the tools, then when you have that sort of an inspirational lift, to me, I mean, I, I can clearly see why there would be a lift all the way around with these children because now they feel there's purpose. They're inspired. People uh, are depending on them and, and believe in them. And so you, you see that then carry over into, like you said, the test scores and um, all the academics. And that's, that's amazing. But I think that's where, you know, we in many cases live such independent lives, especially with social media, where we can hold ourselves up versus being in this world that truly is connected, but, but also too supportive. And I think that's something that, um, you know, whether it's in the office, the family, you know, in many cases, technology can be divide or decisive or divide us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you're talking about are things that actually lift and bring us together. Yes. And we have to remember that, unfortunately, especially these days, and especially for our young people, our brains are being bombarded by all kinds of uh, pieces of information that often are negative, right? You turn on the news, it's negative. You go on social media, sometimes those posts are negative or they make you feel bad or jealous or whatever. And uh, and then we have challenges at work. We have challenges around the dinner table. What we're seeing is that the more that we can reorient our attention to the the positive things happening, the things that we're grateful for, the meaning embedded in the work that we're doing or in our school communities, uh, the positive relationships that we have, we actually feed our brain the fuel that helps it achieve more. There is a compelling research-based case coming out of positive psychology and neuroscience that's showing us that when our brain is in that positive state, we actually fuel every single business and educational outcome that we can track. I'm talking about increasing our levels of uh, productive energy by 31%, increasing our chances of promotion at work over the next year by 40%, decreasing the negative effects of stress by 23%. Um, these are all studies that have been done through top academic institutions at, at or major organizations. We're seeing there that there's an incredible ROI on creating cultures that are based upon high levels of well-being and celebrating successes while also maintaining a solutions-focused approach when challenges strike. Share some of the tips because, you know, one of my favorites was um, when you're leading into a meeting, kind of that power opening, um, you had quite a few that uh, people I know were, were jotting down and even tweeting about left and right. But share some of your favorite tips when it comes to applying this research. And obviously, I mean, you've shared it already with the school district, but give us a few others that you think these are some things that people can start weaving into their normal routine right now that will have a payoff in the end. Um, so I, one of the pieces of research that I'm most interested in is those quick behavioral changes that make a big difference. And so I've been um, very much focused on those habits that take less than two minutes, and they have been shown to really transform our days. Um, one of my favorites is I call it the power lead. So if you know anything about media, you see that all my uh, a lot of my tips and strategies come from uh, from my days in journalism. The, normally, a lead in a newscast, they follow the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads, right? You mentioned that earlier. Right, right. For our own personal broadcast, the power lead takes the opposite approach. My question to everyone is, 
what's your top story? As you move throughout your day and people ask you, hey, how are you? What are you sharing? If you're leading a meeting, what's the first thing that we're talking about during that meeting? That top story has an incredible impact on the person or people listening. It changes the trajectory of the conversation. And as a researcher, if I know just those first few words of the conversation, I have a high degree of likelihood of predicting the outcome of it. Right? We've all been in a meeting where it starts off bad and it only goes downhill from there. Um, the same with our conversations. So the power lead is starting off a conversation or any other interaction by sharing something positive and meaningful. Um, so if it's, how are you, we can take the lead on the conversation by saying, you know, like this morning, oh, I'm doing great. I had breakfast with my son this morning. He's being so cute and so funny at the, at the table, you know, very simple. But what does that do that prompts others to share, hopefully, something positive and meaningful from their own life? It deepens social connection. Social connection is the greatest predictor we have in the research of long-term levels of happiness. The more we can build it, the better off we are and the people around us are as well. I mean, obviously, you know, for not just bumping into somebody at the elevator or the office or out at the grocery store, but that's a good, you know, that power lead into meetings and um, setting the tone, as you describe, is so important. And that's something that everybody can take back to their family, but also the office um, and just kickstart, whether it's the meeting or just an interaction with a, a power lead. What's maybe one other one that you think this is something that, uh, everyone needs to be doing that we may be not doing already? Um, well, I, you know, sort of along the lines of the power lead, one question I have is how do you start your evening when you return home from work? Um, how do you start your dinners? I love this one woman that we've done work with, and she said, I stopped asking, hey, honey, how was your day? And instead I asked, hey, honey, what was the best part of your day? Um, and to my son, instead of asking how was school, what was the coolest thing you learned at school or what was the coolest thing you did? And these are leading questions that don't lead someone to specific answers, but they lead some, someone's brain to, positive, to, to a positive territory where hopefully they'll scan their day for, um, for those, those, um, those ideas. And, you know, we, had, uh, we did some work with a large insurance company. They decided to start their mornings and their morning meetings by doing something called the morning huddle. What they would do is they would get everyone together. These sales professionals would be asked to get off the phones, which is obviously how they make their sales and be successful, right? And instead they would just meet for 10 minutes in the morning where they would do two things. They would celebrate successes from the past 24 to 48 hours and that the entire team might not have heard about. And then they would give an opportunity for anyone who needed a little extra support that day to speak up and then their colleagues could rally around them and offer ideas and solutions. Uh, anyway, they tracked the company, we tracked the company over time and what we found is after an 18 month period of doing this morning huddle, um, I, I pause now because I gave a talk at Google's Rework conference about a year ago and I was like, smack in the middle of the talk and I only had 10 minutes. I was kind of racing through some of the, the information and I get to this part and instead of calling it the morning huddle, I called it the morning cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a warm yeah. and fuzzy feeling. <laughs> there is, there is. I mean, the morning cuddling office, um, it could be very effective and it could also cause HR problems, but Oh, it was, yeah. So now every time I talk about it, I have to really think about it because I don't want to say it wrong. But anyway, so they, they track, we tracked them over time. 
and at the 18, end of the 18-month period, what we found is that their new insurance application rate went up by 237%. And amazingly, their gross revenues went up by the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. It was 50% overall of their gross revenues. So wow. uh, what it shows us is, you know, at that same time, they were doing nothing else differently than the morning huddle and a handful of other positive communication strategies. Those small things make such a big difference, both for the organization and for the individuals working there. Yeah, and that's what I was going to mention is, you know, you had kind of talked about even um, on your end is you've seen <clears throat> these simple steps by just being more intentional. And I think even, you know, just the sheer knowledge that three minutes of negative news has that long of an effect on your day so that you can be intentional about what you digest, so to speak, what you view and how you um, take that in and just knowing that, wait a second, what I'm seeing is going to have a negative impact on my day. So I can either filter that out or at least just be aware um, and, and control that. But I mean, the, the bottom line is little adjustments, which you're, you've already kind of painted this picture, but little adjustments can lead to big changes, you know, professionally, obviously corporately, but also for individuals in their career trajectory. So they have, you know, by, by kind of infusing this sort of positive approach um, and little simple things like that morning, that, that power lead, um, they, uh, their promotion, their promotability, their promotions, I mean, all, all of that, it, it kind of sets them up for really big opportunities um, professionally and personally within their career. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I want to address, because um, I feel like I left part of it hanging, but how do you stay informed without getting depressed? Because we talked about half the story, but the other half is that if we uh, want to be in the know about the news, which I think is very important, right? And to be engaged citizens, right. we need to know what's going on in our world. Um, there is a way to do it so you don't, you don't suffer those negative effects. The key is uh, skip those. I, I, I'm a big proponent of getting your news online, right? Because you have a lot more control. You can see the headline, you can click on it or not. So skip those really negative stories that are clearly one-off things, horrible things that have happened in another part of the country that don't directly affect your life. Uh, they, they're not good for your brain. And then if it's a topic you care about, try to find a source that can provide you not only information on the problem, but on also on the solution. In the follow-up study that, that we did with Ariana Huffington, we found that if you expose people to not just the problem, but also the solution, as compared to the control group, which only read up on the problem, people in that experimental group actually, uh, when asked to do subsequent unrelated tasks, they, their problem solving went up by 20%. Their mood improved significantly. It shows us we can talk about the negative, but we just also have to focus on what we can do about it and move the brain from just the problem to solution. Um, I think that there are amazing journalists at basically at all of the news organizations with rare exception. It's just, there's only a handful, unfortunately, um, that are focusing on solutions. And if we can find those and stay true to those, I think we will feel not only higher levels of resilience and optimism about the problems in our world, but we'll also transport that mindset to our own lives as well. Love it. I have to ask when you talk about, you know, being a, a featured speaker with Oprah and I know you've got a hilarious story of your husband meeting Oprah. <laughs> we can, we can <laughs> save that for another day because it's hilarious, but talk about on your end, just, you know, this sort of platform and you mentioned obviously being able to work with some of the world's largest companies, you know, give me maybe, um, 
one special moment or a, a favorite person you've been able to work with or just you know something kind of at a, at a personal level where you say you know what you're doing now the, the ability to transition out of this national platform as a journalist and broadcaster and anchor to now being able to broadcast happiness in a in a you know very tangible you know recognizable way that's having amazing impact and, and you're seeing kind of the the ability to take your lessons learned and your research and apply it and then see others, this ripple effect, what, what's kind of put a smile on your face or, you know, like I said, what's somebody that you've been able to meet that it's all kind of sinking in. In other words, like, wait a second, this really is, it's, it's powerful. It's changing lives and it's making a difference and it's opening up some amazing experiences, um, even at a personal level. Well, I think two things spring to mind. Uh, the first one was, I, I always love to see what people do with the research. And so I gave a talk at Marriott to 800 HR professionals. And afterwards, this was their idea, They everyone grabbed post-it notes and filled a convention wall with notes of all the things that they were grateful for or inspired to do or ways that they were going to take action based upon this research. Um, and what was amazing was the majority of the notes were about ways that they were going to use it with their families or, you know, the people most important to them in right. their lives, which I think is really neat. Um, but probably, I think, to me, the most emotionally moving story that or experience that I've had recently is, so I gave a talk about three months ago at a tire distribution company. These are all kind of, you know, tougher guys, all in their 50s, and in walks this <laughs> you know, relatively young woman about coming in to talk to them about the science of happiness. And so but who knows how that can go, right? But uh, but anyway, we talked about some of the same data and numbers that we've been, I have shared today and ways in which they could use it at their distribution centers. They they were so motivated and I, and I loved how open they were to implementing the research and also seeing ways in which they're already doing it, right? So I said, okay, so what ideas do you all have? What are you? How are you going to leverage this research? And this one father stood up and he said, well, I've been having challenges with my daughter, actually. I'm worried about her. She's going off to college. She's anxious. And she's also an introvert. And so I'm not sure how she's going to do there, especially in terms of just simply making friends. Um, so, you know, and so afterwards we talked through some ideas that he could implement and I'm a very big proponent on the power of gratitude and how that can be transformative. His idea was that he was going to reach out to her and say, listen, I would love to just send you three things each day that I'm grateful for. And I would love if it's okay with you, if you would send them back, but listen, no pressure on any front. Cause I want to, you know, he wants to be cool dad. Right. Right. Um, but she said, she said, you know what? Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I think that that sounds good. So as she's, you know, this is right after she left for college, he starts sharing th three things each day that he's grateful for. She shares hers back. And um, I come back three months later for a follow-up talk. I asked everyone, what have you done? How has it gone? And he was the first person to stand up. And with tears in his eyes, he said, this is what I've done. I've done it every day. So has she. And it has transformed our relationship. It's transformed her outlook. She sees things in a much more positive way. She's calmer. And what's amazing was it had a positive ripple effect on her relationship with her mom. Uh, even though the mom, you know, was not involved in this practice, it, it just had this, this incredible beneficial effect on their relationship. 
Um, so when I see this and I see the power that these simple behavioral changes have on on people's lives and their happiness, their well-being, their their daughter's happiness, you know, hundreds of miles away at, at college, for me that's proof positive that um, that it's not like we have to make a major overhaul of our life. We just have to figure out what resonates with us and take that first step. Well, this is exactly why you are a change maker. Um, let's switch over as we kind of wrap up as we'll do. It's we don't have there's no fancy music as we switch gears, but it's the lightning round, and it's basically <laughs> I just ask you some you know quick simple questions, fun ones, and it's just a, a fun chance to uh, you know kind of see a day in the life of Michelle. But um, all right, so the first one is, what do you like to do to relax? Um, let's see. I love to, well, normally I love to do yoga. I'm pregnant right now, so I haven't been doing much of it, but, uh, but yeah, I love yoga. Nice. So now, okay. For yoga, are you more of like the, well, I forget all the different styles, but you have the one that you're in the hot room and you have the other one that uh, I was trying to remember all the different poses and, but is there a certain style that you like of yoga better than the other? Yeah. When I'm in good shape. So that's the big question. Uh, then what I love, I do love hot yoga and I, I love the one that's a little bit of a faster class. So there's yoga flow or core power. They sometimes call it. That's my favorite. Gotcha. What is a book that you've recently read? Oh goodness. Well, the, the most recent one is my husband has an upcoming book called big potential. So I've read it numerous times, but that's more for work. Um, for fun, you know what? I have read so many kids' books lately. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old boy, <laughs> and he loves reading, and I love reading to him, and it's just been so awesome. So most of the books revolve around the topic of trucks. If you need to know anything about excavators, I am your resident expert, and so is he. That's awesome. So, uh, but that, that's, and that's honestly, that's brought me the most joy these days is spending that time with him and reading together. So I do have to ask with your husband, do you guys um, edit each other's books and, and feel like, like I'm just thinking my wife, <laughs> when I was asking her to edit mine, she's like, uh, no, I don't like your writing stuff. <laughs> I'm going to edit it. And I'm like, come on, baby. I mean, she was nice about it. She's like, no, I think I'm good. So how, how does that go in that marriage in terms of, hey, honey, will you edit my book? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. We, um, we definitely edited each other's books. Uh, so for mine, and we rented a place before we moved to Dallas, we rented a place for one week and we went through the entire manuscript and edited the entire thing in seven days, wow. which was crazy. Wow. No, I do not recommend that. And yeah, then for his, we stretched it over a couple weeks. Um, it only usually leads to uh, per book, maybe like three big fights, but <laughs> <laughs> on average, <laughs> on average, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, but it's also pretty cool when all is said and done to have been so involved in that process. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, it's fun. Very cool. So <laughs> where, well, actually, I mean, this is also where I kind of already know, because you know, we talk about when you ask what's your favorite or what's a recent movie, I should say a recent movie or TV show you've watched, you can automatically tell if they have kids or not. Cause it's like, yeah, Paw Patrol or <laughs> what, what's a recent TV show or movie you've watched? Um, so yes, I have seen a lot of Paw Patrol. I do not go to movies except I saw Trolls in the theaters recently. Um, but other than that, uh, the oh, so the, I've watched a fantastic show. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's called Chef's Table. 
it's apparently it's been out for a while. We're a little slow, but uh, it's so good. It takes you into the life of a chef and his restaurant, his his experiences. It's beautifully shot. So I've, I highly recommend. I've seen it. I haven't. I haven't watched it, but I do know what you're talking about. Meredith loves it at night. She'll put it on the food network and all these cooking shows and baking challenges. And, and the, the irony is we don't really cook at home because we're, yeah. <laughs> so we're always out, but it's like, she loves cooking shows. And, and, and anyway, so every night I walk in and there's cooking shows going on and, and then she goes to bed early. And so I'm just walking in on cooking shows and I'll watch them for a little bit before I switch it over to sports. But it's just kind of funny because I feel vicariously like I'm watching all these cooking shows. Um, and I have no cooking skills whatsoever besides making macaroni and cheese. But anyway, that's another story. Right. So where, where do you like to go to vacation? Give me, give me some, you know, either one favorite spot or a couple of favorite destinations. We have been every summer for the past five or six summers now to Martha's Vineyard. And it was actually where my husband and I got married. So we love that. It's so peaceful and beautiful. And um, uh, my two of my other favorite spots, are, I love Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I also love Salt Lake City, both for similar reasons. They're quieter, peaceful, especially the obviously outlying areas around the, the cities. Um, and then there's lots of great hiking in both places. Nice. So my wife wants to go to Martha's Vineyard at some point. What what time of year do you recommend to go? This is totally like personal off the podcast. Oh. <laughs> but what, yeah, what do you no, recommend we, we go? If you come... You got to let me know when you come, but uh, I highly recommend July and August as the best options because the, okay. the water's warmer and it's beautiful and we're there usually then. Good to know. Nice. Okay. Well, there you go. See, we're making plans on a podcast. All right. So um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, what type of food do you enjoy? Are you like the kind of more comfort food? Is it, is it healthy? Give us an idea of what you enjoy eating. If it's got chocolate in it, I'm in. And other than that, I, you know, I love sushi and I love Thai. Um, that's about it. Yeah. I love everything. I, I eat everything except red meat these days. So then are you a wake up early and get up and go or stay up late and sleep in? What, what's your preferred style? Well, the question is, is there a three and a half year old looking oh, at me? True. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so these days I go to bed at nine o'clock, which is pretty fabulous. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, okay. So then the, uh, the kind of the last question is on your end, there, there's two, but the last one is just your contact information. So that kind of doesn't count. But, um, what, you know, when you look at the work you're doing and the legacy, obviously you're building your legacy every single day, but, um, you, when you look at the legacy that you're leaving through, um, you know, the work that you're doing, what do you hope that people say about you and your efforts and, and what you're doing? Well, I hope that they, to be honest, I, I don't, I hope they don't even necessarily remember me. It's they remember the changes that they can make in their lives and, and are inspired to do that. And then they have their personal stories. Um, if if they remember me, I'd love for them to think of me as a funny person <laughs> who shared some interesting information. But uh, but yeah, I, I I you know I'm I'm just happy. I won't hopefully be remembered as one who spread all this negative information everywhere. So, well, that's, I that's mean, my hope. 
I, I just, I love the fact, I mean, you know, to your point, um, when you talk about the kind of the broadcasting, the media industry, the ability to have a heart that, that wants to use it for good and to be solution oriented and then to take that kind of dive and to start your own companies and do the research and go off and get the degrees and, you know, to, to, to create this platform to really help and empower others. It's special and it's inspiring. And I mean, that's exactly like I said, what makes you a change maker. So go ahead and tell listeners where they can learn more about, um, you know, your book and the research you're doing and, you know, how, how should all of us get in touch with you? I know you're on social media as well, but, you know, tell us the easy connection points so that we can continue the conversation forward. Well, probably the easiest to remember is broadcastinghappiness.com, which will reroute you to my website, michellegillen.com. And uh, I encourage everyone actually to come out and visit it because there's a ton of free resources on the site that uh, I think might be interesting for everyone. We developed something called the Success Scale, which tests you for the three greatest predictors of long-term success. You can take it for free. There's also a Stress Responder Scale. Both give you your scores and an interpretive report with some ideas. And, um, and then there's a bunch of videos and podcasts and all kinds of stuff that, so if you liked this information, you can get more of it there. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage uh, listeners to, to reach out and, you know, follow you online because you're always putting out great stories and updates. And uh, it's just, like I said, I love the work you're doing and I love the fact that you use all of it for good. So Michelle, thank you for being a change maker. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for all you do. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Changemakers Podcast, produced by City Current and powered by Lipscomb & Pitts Insurance. To learn more about our guests and to share your stories of others leading by example, visit us online at citycurrent.com. Connect with us online using at citycurrent or follow the conversation using the hashtag Changemakers. Now, think big, start small, and act now. Be a changemaker.